survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 57 and in this edition we're seeking our last escape from Raccoon City in paperback form, novelising the third game in the series, it's book club Nemesis. My name is Cy and joining me on the panel this week, leader of his very own Operation Watchdog and Watch Cat and Watch Bird. What doing? It's Moist Owlet aka James. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, that's a great introduction. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Games, films, books, he eats up that good Resident Evil content like Unicron hoovers up planets. It's Fire Button Steve Valance. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what? Oh, yeah, hi, everybody. <laughs> and part man, part sunglasses, all style from Residents of Evil, friend of the show, it's one big boss, aka Tony. Now that's it. How are we doing, everybody? <laughs> <laughs> Every episode of First Aid Spray is recorded live on our Discord server, so join now to hear the show early and unedited, and to become part of our fantastic little community where we discuss life, the universe, and Resident Evil. You can find a link to the server, as well as all our social media profiles, at our website, fasprayPod.com. It's the support of our listeners that keeps First Aid Spray going, so why not check out our merchandise or our Patreon page? Tears begin at just $1 a month. Head over to patreon.com forward slash fasprayPod for a full list and the chance to create bonus First Aid Spray content. Uh, before we begin, I'm going to take the mood down a little bit. I just want to take a moment to dedicate this episode of First Aid Spray to the memory of Philip J. Reed. Uh, Philip was a writer within games journalism and a huge Resident Evil fan. If you saw our video that we put out last year on YouTube about Resident Evil non-fiction books, uh, Philip personally supplied a copy of his own published works to us from Boss Fight Books to talk about it. Um, I highly recommended it then. I still highly recommend it now if you just want to share in the love of the very first Resident Evil game and what it means to the industry and what it means to people. Philip was an advocate of the Trevor Project, which is an LGBTQ mental health charity, uh, and his colleagues over at Triple Jump have put together a drive in his honour. You can find a link to that below if you're interested, and if you're able to donate, uh, I personally will appreciate it. So thank you, Philip, and on with the show. Housekeeping time. It's another big wave of them. We had a whole bunch of stuff come out in the last few weeks. If you're a patron of various different tiers, you will have access to a few pieces of new content, namely... The bonus episode on the Street Fighter films, yes indeed, the 1994 Hollywood and live action pieces have been covered. Our latest episode of Tear Death Experience saw us ranking the deaths of the Stars members. And the new episode of Memory Card Lane, yes for the first time ever, First Aid Spray talks about The Simpsons <laughs> as Jordan, Steve and Sherwin dive into Bart's Nightmare. Publicly, the new Memory Card Lane episode out is Faxanadu, NES hard as nails adventure title the latest episode of now that's what i call survival horror is resident evil remake uh, resident evil 3 remake where i picked my top 10 tracks from that soundtrack and quite importantly if you haven't missed it please do go back and check out our interview with kevin lingenfelser the visual effects specialist on the netflix resident evil show it's definitely worth your time he got very candid about his time working on the show and a lot of reveals about what was in the planned pipeline for the future of Resident Evil on Netflix, which leads us nicely into our first story. So, our first piece of news is that Resident Evil Netflix has been cancelled after one season. Yeah! Oh boy, mm. where to even start with this one? <laughs> I mean, it's a shame, I'll say that much. I feel, you know... Sad for the people involved with the show, and sad for the people that wanted to see more of it. I wasn't necessarily a huge fan, but I would have been open to seeing a little bit more. 
Um, but it is what it is, I guess. James, let's start with you, you know, as, you know, the person who waved the flag for it the most of this, obviously, not great news. Yeah, it sucks. Um, I'm kind of just so muted now. Um, mm. but the, the, these kind of, cause this, I mean, this isn't the first time this kind of stuff has happened, not even with Resident Evil. Um, I just like any content. I love all content. And if to me, it was good content, but, I, and from listening to like Kevin as well on the interview we did, like, I was just like, oh man, I'm so sad that we don't get more. But at the same time, this is yeah. how the world goes. Uh, unfortunately, um, mm-hmm. we lived in, we live in a capitalist, um, capitalist world right now. And unfortunately things cannot, cannot get better if they do not bring in the money. Um, yeah. And, ju- and also judging by, what Kevin was saying about season two it was going to cost even more <laughs> um, yeah. uh, money as well. So it, I, I, it wasn't a surprise. It was just, yeah, it was just sad. I wanted more. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, to be fair, what Kevin said in that interview about the stuff that was going to be in season two from effects and from characters, I feel like it might have actually hit its own stride and gone, you know, in its own direction, but certainly been a lot more interesting in the way that it was clearly going to be a bit more bombastic. Mm. Uh, so I was interested in, you know, what he had to say about that. It's a shame that we won't get to see it. But you're right, you know, money talks. And I guess the show was probably just not that sustainable. Uh, Steve, what are your thoughts on this? Pretty much the same as they were before. Like, yeah, any time Lance was on screen, I was invested. But otherwise, I wasn't really that drawn. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that I, I feel like Constantine Films missed the mark pretty hard on this one. Like, you know, respect all the people who've lost the jobs. That's obviously awful. But mm. I feel like we're already running up the, you're barking up the wrong tree in the first place. Like, um, I've said it before, I won't, I, won't, I won't beat the drum too hard, but Netflix already had a template in, like, what they did in Castlevania that would be 100% more of what I would have wanted. So, mm. in this regard, like, it's, it's not what I wanted. I'm sad the people have lost the jobs. Yeah, I think Lance Reddick did a great turn as an interesting character and should, in some way, get hired for another role in uh, the Resident Evil franchise proper. Otherwise, that's where I, I, I take it and leave it. I think what Kevin said on the interview was interesting. Don't get me wrong, but it still it, it wasn't really tickling my pickle. What a better term. Mm-hmm. That's fair, Tony. I think you're uh, in the same boat as all of us, as like thinking that maybe animation is the direction for Resident Evil moving forward. What do you make of this? Yes, uh, you know I I will say this. I think Lance Reddick did the best Blade cosplay ever since Wesley Snipes. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, he he did great. Like I, <laughs> I loved him in that role. I like I knew when he got cast as Wesker. I'm like, yep, I see it. This guy is yeah, is a, sure. is a, is one of those actors that you give him whatever role and he is gonna friggin' do it. Like he is gonna just nail it. Mm-hmm. So you know to see like you know like where it went. It, it wasn't for me. Uh, I feel it was one of those mistakes again where. People get the rights to use copyrighted characters, but kind of like make their own series instead of actually making their own series. Uh, I am sad that a lot of people mm. like lost their their jobs because nobody wants to see anybody lose jobs. I think what anybody really does want at the end of the day is a is just proper representation from games. Now, obviously, not a shot for shot remake, but you know, like Steve said, you know, we had things like Castlevania that was proof that you can change things and it can still be very entertaining, especially since. For anybody that knows Castlevania, the lore for Castlevania and timeline and 
characters are all over the place. So it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but I think I do think anime is the way to go. I, I had made a video about that, and I, I think it's time to go that route because it just gives you so much more to work with. It's very less costly than doing, yeah. uh, you know, live action. And if you do it in the style of like Castlevania or you know, uh, like Helsing Ultimate and everything, you'll you'll have exactly what fans want. And there's many things you can take. Uh, from all forms of Resident Evil media, especially like S.D. Perry novels that would actually fit well into fleshing out characters. Because let's, let's be real here. As much as we all love Resident Evil, a lot of characters never really get fleshed out that much. We've, we get, we get sure. hints here and there, and then that's about it. So, you know, I, I think going forward... Um, I think it's best to try maybe doing an anime route than doing live-action Resident Evil ever again because it never... It never works in terms of what fans enjoy, uh, and the the Paul W. S. Anderson movies only succeeded because they had an overseas market that that made tons of money for them. That's that's mm. that's why uh, we kept getting yeah. those was because of that market. I said, uh, "Welcome to Raccoon City." I don't think made much of a profit, and we obviously don't know the direct figures, but Netflix killed this pretty quick. Oh yeah. To be fair yeah. to Welcome to Raccoon City, it definitely didn't make a budget because Sony did not bother bother to market it, did they? Mm. That's that didn't help. You know, the placement of when it came out and the fact that they really didn't tell anybody it was coming yeah. out really didn't help it. I think all of the adaptations they've done so far have certainly had some high points to them, and obviously they've all got their own fans. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess we're still waiting on that one thing, that one shining thing that brings everyone together. And yeah, you know, I think we're all in agreement that animation is certainly the route they should try next. Uh, fingers crossed. But I don't know, I don't expect to see anything of that sort for a while yet. I think they're going to rest a little bit after this because back-to-back failure of this and Welcome to Raccoon City from a monetary standpoint and that kind mm. of thing probably time to, to sort of put that on the back foot for a bit and no more cgi no more cgi animation please yeah. give us yeah give I mean, us frame uh, by frame animation yeah I, be, being that guy you know it might be because i've actually seen the film yet but it looks good dragon ball super broly is like you know animated but it's also cgi I oh kind of, very was like limited, you know, very good very good movie yeah. i saw that in theaters dude and my mind literally got blown out of the back of my head into the theater it was amazing I want to say, am I right thinking they did the CGI this time as a budget saving kind of thing to see if they could do it? If that's true, then I'm fine with that for an RE thing, personally. I could see that. You know, maybe not not as overblown as like Infinite Darkness or something like that. Mm. But you know, something that looks anime at the very least, I think would be gives a bit more vibrance to the things. And the monsters can look that much crazier. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this is a breaking news of the day of recording. Resident Evil Village is coming to Nintendo Switch, as well as Resident Evil 7, Resident Evil 2 Remake, and 3 Remake, respectively. Yeah, surprise news is always nice. I think that's two back-to-back -back episodes where we've had, like, oh, this has just come out within the last few hours. Um, yes, Resident Evil Village Cloud will be coming to Nintendo Switch on the 28th of October. Uh, the DLC will follow it up on the 2nd of De December, and then the other games will come later they're sort of undated. Uh, Resident Evil 7 did have a cloud service version in Japan before, uh, but it seems like this new version is going to be the gold. I, I don't know if they've actually specified that. From the artwork they've used, it looks like it's going to be Resident Evil 7 Gold Edition, so it will have the DLC packaged in with it. Um, and obviously it's coming overseas for the first time. Um, shall I start with this? Because I actually i have played the demo already. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
it's rubbish. Oh, it's, no. it's awful in every single way. The only time it's good is when you stand still because uh, the graphics look nice. But that streaming from the cloud service uh, is not working. And I have a f- decent enough internet connection. And I've heard from people that have got a lot stronger internet connections. They had the same results. Finally. Terrible frame rates. Uh, absolute awful lag. Um, really, the demo is it's that yeah. bit under the village, um, sort of with the prison cells and whatever, where you fight uh, the shadowy... I can't even think what they're called now, but the skeletal guys in the um, hooded stuff. And the ladies yeah, you play it from. Yeah, the ladies that are down there. I can't remember what they're called now. Um, so you're, yeah, you're yeah. saying... I just want to just get this right. You're saying when it's not in motion, it's pretty good. Yeah, if you're standing still, it's fine. Finally. Uh, but then when you start aiming, it really gets awful immediately quick. There is um, now an argument yeah. for fixed cameras. We have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, right, yeah, it falls apart quick, and the demo is incredibly short. Uh, which is probably for the best, really, unfortunately, if you're going to use this as to see if your internet connection can actually hold out on it. This uh, uh, isn't going to sell many people on it. This demo dropped today, though, right? Yep. Um, yes. Devil's Avocado, like, could there be like a million billion people going to try this demo and that's like clogging the service, or is that not likely to be affecting its performance? Um I actually have. I no can actually, idea. I think, so, field this one because I have, I have talked in the past, like when they when they tried to bring uh, Resident Evil Seven to the the Switch before in cloud gaming and didn't run good. People have to understand something. Yeah, that's what yeah, I like, heard. People have to remember this. We are not in an era where cloud gaming is a viable, really good thing. Like, I mean, and I've got great internet. Don't get me wrong, my internet's like top tier. But at the same time, stuff like this is just. It doesn't run good. Like I've I've pl- I've used like Sony's uh, PS4, like you know, like the the PlayStation Plus, where you can download like PS3 games from like a like a like a cloud thing, and it runs all right. But sometimes, like for fighting games, it doesn't. And overall, we're just not there yet. The what these things take up in terms to make this work, just we're not there. And plus, it's the Switch. The Switch is literally a six-piece-year-old hardware that was already using outdated cell phone tech before like it was made and because like a lot of the the newer switch games do have problems running on the current switch so this is going to be something that we're going to be seeing for quite a while a lot of issues like i mean i applaud the idea of you know trying to get ahead in the future but you know you got to start nintendo has to make stronger uh switches to handle cloud gaming and a lot of their regular you know gaming like digital downloads and stuff but we also have to as a country or where pretty much all over the world we need stronger internet. Like our internets right now just can't mm-hmm. handle cloud gaming in certain uh, in certain aspects. You have to have like specialized mm-hmm. tech that's designed specifically for that purpose, as opposed to a handheld that is not designed specifically for it. I get what you're saying. So yeah. So yeah, I, I, I was just going to say because the graphics were impressive when I was standing. So certainly it looked like I was playing on at least you know maybe not PS5 but. PS4 was like that. That's pretty good, and 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 yeah, unfortunately, it fell apart. So they're really, I get what you're saying, Tony, in, in terms of they're trying to get ahead of it. But you're right, they're just not. It's just, technology just isn't there for it mm. yet, unfortunately. It's uh, it's it's like um, it's like what it's why Stadia didn't work. Yeah, right. for sure, Stadia, absolutely. Stadia was a great idea, and I really liked it. And and Nvidia has a sim- similar thing, and it's kind of doing okay, but they got into a little bit of trouble. Um, at one point, but I've actually tried two games on the Switch through its cloud service. One was Control, which played fantastically um, mm. through the cloud service. Um, 
I don't know if it's still going, but it was free at one point. They were allowing people to test it out for free, and I tested it out, and it was it played really, really well. But I do have really good internet. Um, mm. I, I'm just boggled at the fact that you said Control, James, because I remember that game being like graphically intensive, even on like yeah. your PS4s it's, and Xbox it's very games. intensive. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but it, it played very well. Like it, mm-hmm. it played very well. Um, the other one is like I think I think this is one that folks go back on a lot. But you know, it's all about optimization, isn't it? Right. And we we know that Witcher Three Wild Hunt plays on the Switch and it plays okay. Yeah. Like Wait, that's cloud. Right, so no, that's not cloud. That's oh, base yeah. game. Yeah. Okay. Which is e- which is even more impressive in a way. You know, and it's like sure. you know they can do it right. They just need to work on optimization. Bingo. Like mm-hmm. more. Yeah, for sure. The problem is, though, is they kind of showed their hand too early by doing this because people are going to download that demo and go, ah, no, this is awful. I'm not interested anymore. Like, they really need to iron out the kinks before they go, here it is. That's maybe, the only problem. Maybe it will give them the arse kick they need. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> That's all I can say. Maybe so. It would be really cool to have all these games on the Nintendo Switch. Obviously, you won't be able to play them on the go because you will need a Wi-Fi connection to connect to the cloud. But to be able to play them handheld, whatever, you know, yeah, yeah that would be cool. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be dope if ISPs like if they were just? <laughs> I, I find it's funny for some reason. Games developers just start yelling at ISPs like, "Oh, people can't play their games. <laughs> Fix your stuff." You know, <laughs> games won't be always online. They need to talk to these ISPs so they can maintain their games always being online. Um, yeah. But I will close this: that if you're one of the lucky few that can somehow get a Steam Deck, at least you can preview the experience. Theoretically, I think they're all Steam Deck verified. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, there's always that way to get your Resident Evil, uh, the new generation Resident Evil stuff. Very on. true. So our last piece of news, and I'm sure you're all very excited: Dead by Daylight's Project W chapter is now available for purchase. Oh yes. <laughs> okay, uh, Tony, are you a DVD player? Have you? Dug into this I little... have only watched my friends play it, and for some reason, my brain just doesn't want to play it. Like I, I, I don't know, man. Like it, because it, uh, as crazy as this sounds, I'm not much of a horror guy. I know I'm on the Residents of Evil. Like, how are you not yeah. a horror guy? But you know, I'm more known for fighting game and such. But you know, I like mm-hmm. the fact that this this game is doing so much for different horror fans from like different like walks of life, and I respect what they do with it because I mean I did play a little bit of that Friday the 13th game with the row a couple years ago we had fun with that but uh I really respect what they do and I'm glad that they're continuously just you know doing like these universal crossovers and everything you know Mm. Mm. they're really treating Resident Evil well as well because no franchise at all has got the representation in Dead by Daylight that Resident Evil has two DLC packs there's a ton of characters now because two new characters in Project W in terms of survivors and then a bunch of skins as well um, with some skins being updated since as well just to bring them you know better up in terms of uh, actually looking more like people um, and you know like, two, two yeah and Shevo being there that's awesome she's actually made it out of uh, RE5 she's now in another game yeah that's fantastic very good point very good point. Uh, Steve, I'm guessing you haven't had a chance to check this out. I've, uh, I've been, I have been watching people play it. You know, it, it's, it's one of those uh, things that, oh, yeah, that looks fun. I'm crap at playing it, though, so I'll have to watch streamers do it for me. Um, <laughs> you are right, though. It feels like, it's. this is going to sound so crass, but it's like the Fortnite for the horror genre. Like, I can see down the line we're going to see a Fatal Frame crossover or something. If they get big, which they should with this remaster, I know it's side news, but, you know, horror games on the rise. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. 
It's, it's crazy the amount of Resident Evil love, though. I feel like this is probably born out of the uh, the lukewarm reception to Resistance at this point, right? This is their way of... It does feel like it in a strange way. Um, and I don't know if it's an intentional reference or they just so happen to pick the same word. Mastermind. But every Dead by Daylight... Yeah, uh, every Dead by Daylight killer isn't called by their name. They're called the something or other, generally speaking. And Wesker is called the Mastermind, which I thought was quite interesting because he wasn't a mastermind in Resistance. He never came to that game. Uh, where's my, where's my alien? I just where's my alien? Right? That's the thing we're all waiting for, I think. What would you call Wesker um, if not the Mastermind? And it has to be like a, a non... Not the Wesker, obviously. As an ode to uh, Kelsey's introduction to First Aid Spray, you call him the I don't know. Yeah, uh, the turncoat, something like that, maybe. Mister betrays people. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, no. Yes. Um, Uh, I I've played it briefly. I did play a few games with some people on the first Age Bro Discord server, so I have paid out for this. And Wesker plays great. In fact, all the new characters feel good. It's fun to run around the RPD, especially being on a Resident Evil server where we're all playing as Resident Evil characters on the Resident Evil map with the Resident Evil killer. That feels fun. It's decent time. Dead by Daylight is one of those games where you pretty much should only play it if you've got four or five people because going into the the murk of playing with randoms is certainly not great. But, uh, you know, if you can get a group together, I, I have fun with it. If you're playing with your friends, you don't have to worry about all the meta and, like, you know, being all super competitive and, like, oh, no, no. solo queue is awful. Uh, Absolutely. Instead, you can just appreciate that Wesker's got a new VA who, despite sounding a bit like, uh, you know, his predecessor, yeah. actually does his own thing. It's kind of fun. I like that, too. Um, don't, do we know if he's going to translate over to the main series? We know he's going to appear in four. We don't know if it, this voice actor will be Wesker, but yeah. no. But fingers crossed. Hmm. Fingers crossed. I think. Cool. Okay. Well, that'll do it for the news. So let's jump into the main discussion for this podcast, which is book club nemesis. And now, reading excerpts from St. Perry's Resident Evil Nemesis, Sean Meyer. You can follow on Twitter at carrier underscore 1998. Brad fell backwards, shaking his head as if to deny the approaching creature, staggering in a half circle and stopping when his back hit brick. In the split second before it reached him, Jill could see it in profile. Time seemed to stop for that instant, allowing her to really see it, to see that it wasn't her nightmare tyrant but no less horrible for that. In fact, it was worse. Between seven and eight feet tall, humanoid, its shoulders impossibly broad, its arms longer than they should have been. Only its hands and head were visible. The rest of its strangely proportioned body clothed in black, except for what appeared to be tentacles, slightly pulsing ropes of flesh that were only half tucked under its collar their points of origin unseen. Its hairless skin was the color and texture of badly healed scar tissue, and its face looked as though whoever designed the creature had decided not to bother, instead pulling a too tight sack of torn leather over its rudimentary skull. Misshapen white slits for eyes were set too low and separated by an irregular line of thick surgical staples. Its nose was barely formed, but the dominant feature by far was its mouth, 
or lack thereof. The lower half of its face was teeth, giant and square, lipless, set against dark red gums. Time started again when the creature reached out and covered Brad's entire face with one hand. Still growling, as Brad tried to say something, panting and high, wheezing gasps beneath its palm. And there was an awful, wet, squishing sound, heavy but slick, like someone punching a hole in meat. Jill saw a flesh tentacle sticking out from the back of Brad's neck, and understood that he was dead, that he would bleed out in seconds. Numbly, she saw that the rope-like appendage was moving, swaying like a blind snake, droplets of blood falling from its muscular length. The tyrant thing grasped Brad's skull, and in a single, fluid motion, it lifted the dead pilot and tossed him aside, retracting the killing tentacle back into its sleeve before Brad hit the ground. Okay, it's time to jump back into Book Club. Feels like it's been a little bit of a while, and we are certainly over the halfway mark now, so that's very exciting indeed. Uh, Resident Evil Nemesis is the fifth book in S.G. Perry's series, and the third adapted from a video game. Interestingly, it will be the first book that we are covering that wasn't part of Perry's initial deal with Capcom, uh, which was, of course, for two adaptations of video games and two original stories, as we previously said. It was published sometime in the year 2000, so around the time of the game, and re-released in 2012. Before we get into judging a book by its cover, which is how we start all of these podcast episodes, we've all told our kind of history with the novels, and perhaps lack thereof. This is the first time I've read this book before. Obviously, James, this is the first time you've read this book before. Uh, Steve, any specific memories about Nemesis, or not particularly? Uh, my reaction, I think, at the time would have been different. Uh, looking out through a different lens, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, interesting. Um, Tony, what's your experiences with not just this book, but, you know, S.D. Perry's whole series? Uh, I honestly, I, I'm not much like of a, of a book person, uh, which shouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, but I, uh, <laughs> I really did love the world that she created, given, like, what she, like, knew of the series and, like, what she was told and... And how she went about doing it, because like I said earlier, you know, we didn't we never really got a lot of characterization in especially the early years of Resident Evil. We didn't know much about these characters or their backgrounds as much or anything of the sort. And she kind of gave, you know, moments uh, from these books that are really amazing and like how they like, you know, like the stars team members, you know, interacting with each other in the police department. And, you know, then things like uh, Jill becoming friends with Becky and Priscilla. Uh, before you know, before the events of the first book, when the the murders were happening, I, I thought that was you know really good depth to these characters, and it still felt in many ways kind of like the characters are in the games. I mean, yeah, well, I guess from like two and three, because one one's characters are you know kind of cartoony and everything, but it still kind of works. And I and I loved almost every adaptation of of these novels, and I think she did a great job. And it was kind of a it was a shame she's not still writing them because I would like to see different takes on how because like you know we we find out you know expanded parts and we, we'll get into that but I just overall I think the experience of these books were really phenomenal I think they could have gone a completely different way and been bad but I was I was just happy with them. Hmm. Do you remember your first sort of exposure to them? Do you remember being sort of made aware? Uh, of actually, them? I do. Or have they just kind of been like a no? Hazy actually, I, I do remember uh, when I came across them. It was. Uh, Shortly after the first few books were out, like I think I think 
uh, yeah, it was it was Umbrella Conspiracy, Caliban Cove, and City of the Dead were already out by then, I think. And I just walked into a, a, a Barnes and Nobles, and I was I was looking for you know like martial arts books to read and purchase. And then all of a sudden, like I see Resident Evil, I'm like, wait, what the hell is this? And I'm like, there's a novelization of the mm. game. Okay, plus like that that picture of the Umbrella Conspiracy, which I still want as a friggin' poster. That is just amazing. Like <laughs> the stars members out in the field, the smoky mansion, and the, like in the darkness behind them, and all the creatures that are in the mansion. Like right above the uh, above them in the in the in the clouds and stuff, I was like, "Oh man, this is this is something else, man." So like, I I I bought all the books like that were out at that point right there. Mm. Nice. Okay, well that brings us nicely onto the first topic, which is looking at the cover arts, discussing what you like and what you don't like about the various versions. I actually only found three, which is the original prints, the 2012 re-release, and the Japanese version, but. As it turns out, there are certainly more. Uh, shout out to Ferdinand in the live chat as we record this podcast, who's dropping the Italian version and the French version. I don't know where he found those, but there you go. There they are. Um, Steve, I'm going to throw to you first. Any standout stuff you do and don't like about these covers? Uh, this, the, the, I, 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 I physically ache saying this, but this may be the first time where the original print release is not the uh, the go-to for me. Yeah, I know. Like, yep. It, it kind of, like, there's just something about it that just seems a bit naff. Even though, I mean, it does have the clock tower, and we know how big a deal the clock tower is. <laughs> uh, you, oh, yeah. you all know what I mean. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but then again, like, we'll get into it later, but the, the, re- the reprint has, like, Operation Raccoon City Nemesis on it, and Nemesis isn't even that much of a character in this book, so um, Fair. I, I'm kind of torn. Like it, it would have been the the Japanese re-release had had Ferdinand not dropped like the the Italian and French covers. I actually think the Italian one looks kind of nice. It's got a nice motif to it. It's using a of the time PS1 render, and I think it just it looks it looks pretty good. Oh, it looks pretty decent for Steve. So if I had to pick right now, it's the one that's got a CGI render as opposed to a hand drawn rendition of Jill. Uh, across like what appears to be a desiccated city bit. Yeah, oh, that's, looks, looks kind of nice. That is the American uh, title screen in the background there that you can just about see. Because he never oh, heck to the it right. is, isn't it? Yeah. See? see, even better. There you go. Yeah. Shout out to anyone who's listening to the audio for this. Like, good luck finding these because they certainly didn't come up for me. The Japanese one was hard enough to uh, track down, unfortunately, which is a shame because it's as always with the Japanese SD Perry covers, they're really interesting to look at. Uh, at the very least, but I have to agree with you. I think that the reprint does suck still, but the original's pretty bad this time around as well. It's it's certainly the worst out of the classic run of SD Perry books from a cover perspective. Jill looks a bit like a soccer mum. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Nemesis seems a bit contorted. I don't know, it's just like a, it's a weird composition for me. Um, none of them are fantastic. But, if, uh, if Mist had played a big deal in the actual story, like if Fog, you know, yeah, weird this time you hit about it. One, yeah, <laughs> then it might make a bit more sense. Mm. James, any standout covers for you, for bad or for good? Um, I mean, my favourite was the Japanese one, but then Ferdinand posted the French one. Um, the French mm. one looks a bit like a young adult novel. For those who can't see it, it's like blue cracked sort of stone and then a sort of biohazard logo slapped on it. It's, it's you know, simplicity's good. Yeah, it's simple. And I always, when I'm looking at stuff, and we've discussed this before, I think, could I create that? 
you know, and I'm not very <laughs> experienced. And it's been like, mm. you know, recently we've had that stuff with, uh, Res- with Resident Evil and their merch recently, where, where I've mm. literally made what they've put up in 20 minutes. You know, mm. I, I have the experience, you know, of a GCSE student, so I shouldn't be able to do that. Um, but yeah, like the original, like the, the English, uh, cover with the clock tower in the background. I like the, the, the effect of the, the light behind her. It's really cool and X file-ish, um, in a way. Yeah. But everything else is just like, it's just been plotted on there and given various states of opacity and like, it's <laughs> like, yeah, it's not really my favorite. And then I've already gave plenty of opinion about these silly re-releases because they just, I, the only reason I like them is for folks who kind of maybe have like a little bit of OCD when it comes to keeping your books in right. order. Like, cause they do look great on a shelf. Um, but to look at, they don't like, if you're looking at the book, it doesn't look great. It just looks, yeah. But, I mean, Nemesis on this cover looks absolute trash. Like he doesn't look great either. <laughs> like, so it's not a great, uh, like categorization of him. Um, yeah. And then the Jap, as you said earlier, the Japanese one, so much character in this one. Um, mm. I don't, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like Jill's pose for some reason. I don't know. I don't it's looking very, very sultry. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I was say like, Le, is it La Femme Makito and stuff like Ada would do? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but otherwise, like, I really love what they've done. They've they kind of go wild with these these ones, don't they? I love the hand drawn mm. nature of it. So it's between like the Japanese version and the and the French version for me. I like the simplicity of the French version. And I wouldn't be able to recreate that. That's someone's put work into that one. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Um, in terms of the Italian Italian one, um, I can't really tell what's going on. There. <laughs> it's just two really nice renders put together, James. Uh. R- rather artistically, I'll have you know. <laughs> I may or may not have a bias because I picked that one. Okay. Well, you know, uh, you know, art is subjective. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That. Um, but yeah, I, the the Japanese one and the the French one, big big ups for me. Fair. Tony, anything uh, I mean, that you like and dislike about this selection? Uh, I mean, I never, I, I don't think any of us really cared much for the uh, the reprints. Uh, no, they're pretty where they, bad. Where they just used the the CGI ones, and I'm I'm pretty sure that's the CGI nemesis from Operation Raccoon City. I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, sure, I guess. But yeah, like the the SD Perry novel, like it, it didn't grab me like back in the day, like the original one, because like Jill was just kind of like. Could they have put a little budget into like her face or something? Like, why? Why does she not look that great? Like, I'm not feeling this. I mean, the nemesis in the back and the clock tower was really cool and stuff. But other than that, yeah, I just wasn't a fan. But I, I think my favorite for me personally does go to the Japanese one because that was done. Um, that art was done by Wolfina, who is a like a pretty big, well-known Resident Evil artist. Like, the, their art for Resident Evil and Devil May Cry has always been amazing. They, and they were kind of like. God, I'm not gonna say ahead of their time, but they were one of like the big ones back in the day on like DeviantArt, and she doesn't she doesn't oh, wow. really do as much anymore. I don't think, but I think she's like kind of freelance or whatever. But like her artwork has always been stellar, and uh, it's a shame like a lot of it's not like in in high definition for a lot of it, you know, because uh, some of the work mm-hmm. she's done is amazing. So I actually really like the the style. I like the the color palette used for it. You know, I like how she just drew out everything. I mean, yeah, I will admit Jill's pose is a, is a bit off and everything, but other than that, like I, I think that one for me personally is the best. Tony, you're a bit dropping knowledge. There you go. Oh, no. You get a name. Yeah, I was gonna like um, 
You play more Teppan than I do. Has Wolfina been like doing anything for that, or has she just been like off the radar? Uh, more so, like, off the radar, like, I haven't, like, kept up with, like, I know, like, a lot of stuff, uh, doesn't come up, but I don't think she's ever done anything for Teppin, even though what I love what that company does is they hire mm. multiple different artists to make the art for different cards, so I've always been really, uh, like, happy about that, but, you know, as far as, um, you know, like, what she does, it's mainly been, like, Resident Evil, uh, Devil May Cry work that she's done, if you just type in on, like, on Google, like, you get some of, like, the the coolest looking art and everything. Um, but it's definitely, I think like one of the, like the newer ones or you could say newer ones anyway, was, uh, oh, what's her name from revelations? Uh, Oh, Rachel. Like there's, there's an art of like Rachel that she did. That was really good. Um, mm. so like, oh. yeah, I, I know, I know. Wait, did I'm trying to remember if she got contracted by Capcom to do anything like official, like on a, on a, like official game. Art. I can't remember, but other than I mean they should like it'd be a shame to leave talent on the floor you know what I mean yeah um, I think there was oh God, I can't remember it's been so long but yeah like the, the 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 covers for like the SD Perry novels used for like Code Veronica are really good and uh, Resident Evil 2 was really good too so mm. um, like they like I said mm. just a lot of great art that came from her from over the years whether it was Resident Evil Devil May Cry um, just, I, I know there was more that they did I think Part of me wants to say there was a Dino Crisis piece. I am not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> nice, mm. but yeah, look look up the artist sometime because what what she has and what she's done is is some of like the best work uh, that I, I think a Resident Evil fan has done even to this date. And she's been around like I said, she was this going all the way back to like you know DeviantArt days, like over a decade ago. Mm. So cool. All right, let's uh, let's crack this bad boy open. Let's start talking about the story mm. of Resident Evil Nemesis. Uh, James, let's start with you. What do you think about the plot setup for this adaptation of Resident Evil Three? Well, you know, we get our uh, exposition man uh, pushed in um, right at the beginning in Trent. Uh, <laughs> right. I always feel every time I hear his name, I feel like you know, there's a there's a there's a there's a poker player like you know, referee or whatever they're called, right? Uh, that's off, 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 off screen. And they just, they just push them on. The poker you know, referee, with a, hang on a minute, with a stick. What? You know, the, the guys <laughs> that deal out, the, the dealer and the cards, you know how they move the, the stick with the thing, they move all the coins around? On the, I've never been gambling. <laughs> I, know I, know gambling. Yeah, I know yeah. what you're getting at. I'm, yeah. just, I'm, just, I'm just picturing, like, Friday Night Poker at TV, and this one, like, all right, guys, on a cool, clean deck, let's go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure they do that, too. But, I mean, like, a, they just push him on, you know, uh, or she rather pushes, pushes him into scene yeah. every single time. And, like, <laughs> and now it's happened so many times that I kind of don't really care about him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like we got, like this is this is it's really nice to in terms of story. It's really nice to get back into the games again because for the past two books, they books they haven't been really about the games. They've been like we've, we've been elsewhere. Well, we had City of the Dead in the middle, but yeah, we Caliban Cove and Underworld were were also a thing. Underworld, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's it's nice to to get back in it, and I feel like uh, they had. I mean, I feel like. S.T. Perry had less to work with here because she built mm. she built on a lot and kind of added things that did that didn't really have any consequence, you know, to the lore itself. She just added more to flesh out what she had in terms of story. Because um, mm. the you know the original was literally it's just about Jill and Carlos and you know running and trying to get out and you know, uh, but yeah, she really built 
uh, in this story uh, on the characterization of these characters themselves. Because I I didn't like Carlos in the original, um, but I really like Carlos in this. Um, mm-hmm. Because you get to hear his monologue. And I, I, I yeah, know that's sure. a book. I know that's a book thing. Like in, I know it can be done in movies, but it can be hit or miss. Um, but you also mm. hear Jill's monologue as well. Um, and those two kind of working together. And yeah, uh, like my favorite bit. Well, it's kind of all the way through it when they first meet. In terms of uh, kind of how they get on with each other, is them constantly double guessing each other to see who is like the bad guy. Them mm. like. Thinking this is whole, this is all a conspiracy, you know. Carlos is like, "Oh, Trent spoke to me at the beginning, and I don't know who that guy is, but he seems to have my back." But he also said, "Don't trust anybody." I should I trust Jill, you know? And then Jill would be like, "This guy's part of Umbrella. Why should I trust him?" But he saved my life, and you know, you're hearing that kind of monologue in, inside their heads, and it's nice. Mm-hmm. I think I'll go into more of it later as well. But uh, one of my absolute favorite parts of this uh, this book. Um, was when Carlos says that line he says from the original game, you know, I can't remember the whole line, but it's something about, you know, ladies love me or whatever. Like, yeah, context is lost in the game, right? And, like, he he just comes off like a creep. <laughs> but in the book, <laughs> um, it's a bit more than that. He, he, he says it to try and lighten the mood. He literally says, she's not going to think this is serious because we're in a zombie apocalypse. Like, I'm yeah. just kidding around. Um, yeah. You know... Then he regret it afterwards. I he think. did, yeah. You yeah. know, because she kind of looks at him, but she does, like, kind of reciprocate, uh, like, kind of j- jibing at him as well. It's like, that's nice to see, you know, because mm-hmm. that's kind of what we see more of in uh, Carlos from the from the most recent, the remake, Resident Evil mm-hmm. 3. Um, we kind of... The way that uh, Jeff Shine kind of acts it out is so good, and, like, the writing was so good that you could... You oh, yeah. got that he was, you know, he was just, you know, ch- he was just chilling. You know, he wasn't, yeah. and he, he, he's fully aware that there's a zombie apocalypse and he's not looking for a date. He's just joking around. But that didn't come through in the original. In the, but in this, it's very, very clear. Um, yeah. Uh, overall, the summary of the story for me, it follows the game really well. Uh, mm. You know, there, there is a bit that they complete, like, they miss out the lab completely, right? Uh, there's yeah, no lab in the original. No in the original. No. Oh, thanks, Tony. Yeah, it's the fact. It's the factory at the end. The treatment facility. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah the dead factory. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. So they, I mean, they, they, she keeps on the beats and she adds more to it. She gives you more. Um, there are some bits that she, that Esty Berry kind of stays on a little bit too long. Maybe the gems thing is a little bit too long in the teeth. Um, but mm. I understand she was just trying to fill out pages at that point. <laughs> um, mm. But yeah, the story for me was solid. I really enjoyed it. I think, you know, without diving straight into characters too much, because we'll certainly get there. Mm. Uh, I mean, I will say, first of all, I agree with everything you just said about Carlos, but you hit a bunch of things that I wanted to talk about with the story, certainly, like thoughts that I had as well. Um, So in terms of Trent, I actually think that it's funny because the Trent links actually kind of keep me invested as someone who's played the video game and knows the story. Because uh, I'm like, okay, well, how are they going to use this to influence the story that I know? I'm interested in this. I know where the Resident Evil 3 Nemesis story goes. I've played the game plenty of times. So I'm interested in the Trent part. So I guess that's a point in the column 
uh, that one-to-one adaptations aren't the way to go because you need to have a little bit of something in there for people who know the story. For me, I actually really like Trent's involvement in this. It makes a lot of sense. So for context, for anyone who hasn't necessarily read the book, uh, Carlos gets a phone call before he ships out to Raccoon City. Oh no, he bumps into Trent in the street, doesn't he? Uh, he yeah, tells yeah, him yeah. To, to to meet him at Grill 13 and then during his adventure through Raccoon City, he does so. Uh, and Trent basically kind of plots out the rest of the story for us, telling us, uh, you know, if you get to the hospital, you, you can find a cure. There's weapons in the clock tower. There's two escape helicopters at the treatment facility. And it gives the characters a reason to go where they do. Because in the video game, you're right, it totally makes sense because it's about running from location to location. It's about that feeling as a player. But for the story to have make more sense as a book, it kind of makes sense for these characters to have reasons to go to these places specifically. Which is really, really cool. And I My, think, largely, Perry makes the right choices of what to focus on and where to focus on. Like, There's a long lead-up to the real start of this novel to add all that information that you were just talking about and kind of like uh, putting put our own kind of spin on the lore and stuff. Uh, yes, yeah, really, really decent. I, I like... To just touch on Trent again, I think the main problem with me is that like, I understand why Trent would get in touch with Jill, with you know Chris and the, the crew and everything in the previous books. I understand that because they're big players. But Carlos at the beginning of this book was not a big player. He was a part of 120 men. <laughs> I don't understand why he chose Carlos. He had a, he had a moral fiber that those other men didn't have. Yeah, he said that he only killed like a child pornographer and like a, a trafficker, human trafficker. He never did anything but, particularly too shady as a murderer, <laughs> mercenary man. But out of 120 men, there had to be at <laughs> least another person know, that was like, good, you know. Mikhail might be into selling pirate DVDs or something. Like, <laughs> I know, I know, it's not like huge potatoes. It's just, I, I, you know, sometimes I like, I think, why is this even happening? Like, there's 120 other dudes here, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you sometimes have to subvert your expectations, um, but yeah, it kind of bothered me a little bit. I could, I couldn't immerse myself into Trent as much in this as I could say Underworld, which I enjoy Trent in much more than I did this. Mm. Uh, Steve, how do you feel about the setup for the Nemesis novelization? To be fair, I, I might be the outlier here. I feel like uh, I think Trent's like fine as his usual X X file smoking man self, being all mysterious and having like intentions that may or may not always be pure. Um, but it feels like any time we stray from the extra suple- uh, superlatives that she's added to the narrative, uh, if we're pl- if we're reenacting scenes and moments from the game, there is a there is a, an element of haste almost. It feels like got to get past this uh, this uh, contrived bit like nemesis for example like i feel like he's barely in his own book like he's mm. he's there for a handful of scripted boss fights so to speak and that's it he's not really an ever-present terror compared to the inner monologue of uh, nikolai uh, trying to hunt down this person that person that other person for operation watchdog and make all of his money and how great and how smart he is and occasionally we cut to jill's monologue of how tired and worn out she is <laughs> uh, and then Carlos is bewildered trying to figure out the straight matter of things. It just feels like any time we are stuff that is like not necessarily part of the, the main game's main plot, is a lot more emphasis in this. So it, it widens that experience. Like, you know, you, you you play the game for Jill's story and then you read the book for what's happening with Nikolai and Carlos, so to speak. So in that regard, good. But Nemi just got nerfed. Like I don't know how else to say, but it feels like he barely shows up. When he does, he does his like nemesis. You need to you need to infect Jill in this bit. Stars, okay, boss. Does that? Walks off, uh, and then yeah, he's ne- he's seen again the dead factory. Right, you need to fall down in this bit. Okay, boss. 
and then he gets <laughs> one-shotted by the ray gun. I mean, replace these words with stars, but you get, you get the point. He's not really all that scary. And he's, he's nowhere near as terrifying as, say, Fossil was in Underworld. Mm-hmm. And, and bless him. And if you ever had the opportunity to give Tyron a POV frigging moment, it's Nemesis, isn't it? Like, yeah. uh, the hunter-killer designed to hunt somebody who has some kind of personality is portrayed in the games. Like, snark, he smiles, so to speak, when he shoots down a helicopter, or uh, the, the frustrated rage when Jill gets away from him in the remake. So... <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm just a bit sad that Nemi didn't get the right right screen yeah. time screen time in a in a book yeah, book, book time sp- yeah. book time I, page page space. <laughs> I, I get what you're saying, certainly. Um, and to your point about uh, spending a lot of time on the new stuff and not necessarily on the plotting of the game, my big complaint about this is that pacing is really wild in this book, especially in the latter half. And mm. James, to your credit, asking about the lab. Probably because it felt like we'd spend about two minutes in each of the last locations. Like after the <laughs> clock tower, things really speed up. The hospital, the park, the treatment facility, you just kind of speed through them. And it's really weird because by the end of it, it feels like Perry committed to specifically 30 chapters because the last bunch of chapters are less than a page long. Like a whole bunch of chapters at the end are a page long. One chapter is literally just describing Nemesis bubbling away into nothing after hit, being hit by a laser. <laughs> Like, the, the last chapter ends with him being hit, then the chapter begins and it's just about him disintegrating, and then the next chapter is them leaving the room. It was like, that is really weird for me. I thought it was really strange, but there you go. Uh, Tony, what do you think of the story of Resident Evil Nemesis? I know you're a big fan of the video game, so how did you feel about the book version? Uh, I mean, I liked it for its time, but, like, having gone back and read it, like, you know, a few, uh, a few years ago, it's kind of like what Steve was saying. Like, I feel like Nemesis got nerfed in many ways, but I feel like when he did show up, it was a very powerful presence in how they felt like this, like, you know, this giant, like, you know, Terminator. I don't think it was as written as good as, per se, maybe kind of Mr. X was in City of the Dead, but mm-hmm. I, I think they did a decent job for the most part. I, th- I think she did a decent job, but yeah, like, there, there were things that just just bounced around way too much, and maybe that's because there were so many different players in this uh, in this story of, like, characters, and because, you know, like, Nikolai had that, like, you know, like, we actually see what Nikolai's doing throughout, you know, the story of RE3. We get a little mm-hmm. bit of Mikhail. We get these troops. We get uh, some characters are taken away and other characters are replaced or names are replaced. So, uh, I mean, there were aspects of the thing I did like that they focused on. Uh, certainly, you know, things like, you know, Jill's PTSD, which, you know, thankfully did get added yeah. to a little bit in yeah. in the remake, which I also was bummed out that they only focused on that for, like, one part never really brought it up that much again, except for like in the hospital area. But um, I just feel that, you know, it's not a bad retelling. And there's aspects of the story where she makes her own thing. It's like, wait a minute, why is Jill all of a sudden back in Raccoon City? Didn't she leave at like the, the beginning of um, City of the Dead with the others? So like, you know, they kind of like crossed over that. And I just top it up to be like, look, maybe she had like this last minute thing and realized, no, I'm going to stay and see what I can dig up around here. And I like the fact that still, even when the outbreak's happening, like nobody still believed her and the others and uh, her exploration of the city. I think, you know, like parts like that, when it was new things added into it, I think it did very well. Uh, I think it did very well in that aspect of the thing. But when it came to time to like recreate and talk about older things, they either spent too much time because I do remember that that gem thing being a, a big part. Which, if you play the games, the gem part feels like it's over in two seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then other parts, yeah, like some chapters, like you said, they're just so fast. 
Like you're here trying to get invested in this chapter, and all of a sudden, up, oh, okay, we're done. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But overall, like it's no, it's, it's not it's... terrible. It's not a terrible rendition. It's might not be the best, but it's definitely not horrible, and it's a it's a decent read. Oh, absolutely. Mm. I think it's interesting because you do kind of get a sense of what she fixated on when she was playing the game or watching the game you played or whatever. Um, like the gem thing, she obviously found the because she kind of mentions the file. I think the files are pretty much, I don't know if they're word for word, but the files are in there about how they find the gem in the RPD because of the owner of Grill 13 comes in with it. And so, so she obviously found that fascinating and made it a bigger part. Um, yeah. I think she made the good choices in terms of letting the character split up to let us cover more ground from the game sort of naturally. So Nikolai going to the sales office to do his thing. So Jill and Carlos don't have to go there. Um, in terms of the new stuff, I agree with you. That some of the early stuff at the beginning, there's a whole bit where she's Jill is thinking about uh, gathering survivors in a church, like in the previous week or whatever, and then she comes back later and one of them was infected, it turns out, and everybody's dead. Uh, it's really grim, horrible stuff, which is really not cool in a cool way, but like <laughs> for a zombie apocalypse story with and Jill Valentine kind of staying there and struggling to do what she can to help before she finally realises, no, she has to go, it's now or never. Obviously, add some really interesting character depth. Mm. Yeah, I love that she actually took the time to build up an explanation as to why Jill explodes out of her own apartment building. Yes, yes that's um, true as well, yeah. Yeah, it's there's some fun stuff. I think one of my favourite takeaway bits, it's not like, you know, Nikolai monologuing over and over again about his grand plan to get money. Sorry, this, this might be a bit... Um, <laughs> Is uh, the bit with Carlos in the press office where he reads that not the, the the like this journalist's last words, and then about how this like zombie attack in the street goes completely insane. Like one person rips out oh, five yeah, people's throats, yeah. and um, and then he has to deal with the fact that he can hear his now reanimated colleague coming up the stairs, and he's having a, he's having a, like, oh god, what if they killed him? Oh god, what if it is him? You know that that stuff was amazing. Yeah, yeah, like, for sure. Uh, was it Randy? I think his name is in the in the book. Instead of like Murphy, who it probably is meant to be an allegory for. Yep. Um, yeah, that uh, was Randy Thomas, right? I think. Uh, yeah, Randy Orton slivering in. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, it was honestly solid stuff. That was some of the. There was a lot of dread there, more so than like you know, tall, strong, leather daddy just going stars and then getting punked by a single barrel or something. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I think. Uh, a lot of the action in these books does kind of resolve, resolve itself quite quickly. That's the only problem with Nemesis being a bit of an action-oriented character is that the fights with him kind of play out pretty fast. You know, I, I think the writing for him was decent. I agree with what you were saying, Tony. He's not quite as well written as some of the other characters. I wonder, and this is just me musing, maybe Perry was a little bit burned out on writing about tyrants at this point because he's just done two and mm. he's did done Rizzy one. She's trying to... F- kind of maybe come up with a new way to do it and it didn't really pan out. Um, mm. I don't think it was bad. I just felt like, yeah, perhaps there could have been more to Nemesis with what you guys were saying. Uh, you At know, least he wasn't drunk dad Nemesis from Operation Raccoon City. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, we it seems really weird that we didn't get the boss fight, the acid fight, knocking his head mm. off and all that. You know, she just kind of like... Listen something, man. You know, in the just, just, Yeah, Jill just basically jukes him and then he's a blob next time. Yeah. It's kind of, she does go, oh, he seems to be kind of out of control and his body's kind of reshaping itself a little bit. But, and again, S.D. Perry writing these to a deadline might not necessarily know what the important parts of the law were, but obviously 
Nemesis losing in his head in that boss fight is actually a really important part. Uh, but hey-ho, it happens. You know, it's just a shame that uh, such an iconic moment is a little bit missing. Um, speaking of moments, I suppose that's a logical place to jump into how it feels about, you know, as an adaptation of Resident Evil 3, um, parts of it that you liked and didn't like, that it was referenced from the book and how they were changed and stuff like that, anything specifically. Um, I'll kick us off and obviously we'll get into characters. Uh, Nikolai's story was kind of fun. Right, the idea of him going into business for himself and hunting all the supervisors, which in the book is not just UBCS soldiers, but like umbrella moles throughout the city. Um, how he gets wrapped up with Mikhail by, you know, he actually is the one to shoot Mikhail. Uh, and then he's like, I'm going to go down there and I'm basically going to gloat. And then he kind of just gets caught up with him and Carlo. So I thought that was really cool. Um, you know, the idea of fo- the idea of following him around while he's executing his people is cool. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about whether or not I liked it. <laughs> uh, James, anything that stands out to you that's uh, from the video game that you liked or didn't like? You know, all the changes therein. Um, like you, like I liked, I liked more more information on Nikolai. Um, yeah, like it was, it was, it was good. It was great. Uh, in terms of like adaptation, like this. I feel like this book is just like a play-by-play, um, a little bit of what happened. Like it's, it's a little bit like a play-by-play, but it's got like extra things, uh, and then like different names are changed at some point as well. Yeah, like with it's like a play-by-play with sidebars, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, like annotations. Like it's yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then like she like added Trent and like these watchdogs, like the the watchdog thing. That's that's the thing that's been added, right? Like no, I don't... Well, there, there was a form of Operation Watchdog in the game proper. Uh, you only really find out at the end that uh, Nikolai is one of the supervisors. That's yes. all you need to know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Another mutant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's alluded to. It's like Wild yeah. Umbrella becoming a big thing from the first game, even though it was a, sort of a typo. Well, a, 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 what's the word? localization thing right they got a bit oh out of yeah hand. yeah um I th- another thing is I, I i mean kind of a thing that i think didn't work for this book and i know i've been pretty negative on the book, but i actually like this book like overall um but one thing that was negative about it is that I, you and you just reminded me size that i think she was taking the game literally and she was use like using the events from the from the game in the book literally like instead of building on like some of the events like for instance when jill gets infected literally what happens is she gets infected everything fades to black and that literally happens in the book (laughs) like it's like i wouldn't like it doesn't really work in like a book Mm. Like you need more info because the next thing you learn is that she's in hospital and that yeah that's the thing that happens in the game. But I would would have wanted more information at that point, like from a book, like what her like fading thoughts were. Did she hear Carlos? Right. Like were there other yeah. things happening? You know, while this was going on, but we didn't hear that. Um, because when that happened, I I remember just putting the book down and going, wait, what? Because it, it took me out a second, so I was like, "Oh wow, I've just been transported to the game again." And look, that sounds like a good thing. It's just that that was so quick. Um, it mm. was also near to the end of the book, well, three quarters away, I think, uh, through the book. Yeah. So, like, that was the point where everything was like really steamrolling. Um, yeah, but 
I I can't I, I can't add anything more because the because the book is it is just a play by play with as you said annotations uh, uh, and name changes. I think um, like isn't like Ken Franklin is this, in this is uh, I can't remember his name Tyrell Patrick yeah he, yeah he yeah. Tyrell, yeah yeah I was sure that I, was about, it, but there you go it took me it took me a bit to recognize that too mm. um, I was like oh that's that guy right. Um, yeah, uh, again, but that was cool that we got more information about who, well, kind of information, because... Her version on, of who he was. Yeah. Right, because <laughs> Nikolai just comes in, like, oh, hi, Ken, bang, you're dead. Right, it's, <laughs> it's like, I wanted to... be fair, the scene in the video game's over pretty quick as well. It's not bad, <laughs> but it's pretty quick. Right, and then, then, again, that goes towards kind of the what my, what my yeah. point was, is like, maybe keeping too close to the video game. I actually, I do agree with you. Because when you started talking about that, it immediately made me think of a part in the book where they're, they're at the clock tower. They're like, okay, cool, we're here. Oh, they found some weapons. That's quite interesting and exciting and different and new. And it explains, it's like, okay, we can get the grenade launcher here. I like that. That works for me. And then they start walking up the stairs and my brain goes, right, this is the bit where those spiders drop down from the ceiling. And then they did. And I was like, <laughs> you know why I know that? Because that's exactly what it does in the video game. And it's like, okay, that's fine. But find a new interesting way to maybe do that or an unexpected point to right. do that. Where it was just like, the spiders dropped down and we killed them and we carried on. Was a little bit like, okay. Right. It was just like it was shoehorned in. Because I there's one thing it's, we've actually... we've emphasized how badass Jill is. She's already done this like a million times before at this point. We have lauded SD Perry on the way that she has winded like certain game events like into the stories she's wrote and they've done very well and they in a very immersive mm. way but in this book they did feel very shoehorned a lot of those events yeah a little bit yeah like one of the things that i really liked it's a great example of her taking something from the game as kind of like a fun wink wink nudge nudge kind of thing is and also just a really clever thing for sort of plotting the way the book was going to go rather than over preparing Jill with all these weapons and really nowhere to put them of course because she's not like she's carrying around a rucksack or anything <laughs> but she locks the RPD gate behind her with the shotgun to stop Nemesis getting out which is brilliant and furthermore she mentions that she's in such a rush that she doesn't really think about it but Brad's body wasn't there anymore which is obviously a great reference to the fact that he's gotten up and started walking around as a zombie mm. yep uh, which which I thought that's two strokes of genius in a row uh, which just yeah again so just a chance to say props to her because I felt like we have sort of Nick Pitt and that's just the way it goes but there yeah. are moments like that, that I really really loved uh, Tony is there anything from the book that you remember that you really loved in terms of adapting stuff from the game or doing stuff differently Oh man, that that's easy. Uh, I mean, I did like the fact that Jill, uh, she had the PTSD at the beginning. Like she was like running down the mansion hallway, and then like things just went dark, and like she saw the tyrant in her in her nightmares, and mm. she kept having that, and she was suffering from that. That was tremendous there as well. Um, the fact that she was rounding up survivors, putting them in a school, and then you know she went back a couple days later, and like everybody inside was dead, and like all the barricades were ripped down, and she. Thinks that like oh someone must have saw a loved one outside or something like that and that's what happened so that, that was like her time to be like all right you know what the city's lost and the police aren't st they still aren't listening to me time to go like I loved little things like that and one of the coolest ones I liked too was where they actually showed what Carlos was doing since the uh, since they took down the nemesis uh, outside the clock tower where like you know he's eating cans of fruit cocktail he keeps checking on Jill the whole time and then mm -hmm. you know he ends up going to the hospital and you get that whole scenario played out and i 
I I don't know if this is like one of those Mandela effects, but I could have sworn that I read that in that book, like where Nikolai gets blasted out the window, uh, like. Uh, Carlos looks outside and like Nikolai fires gunshots at him. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Yeah, that's in the book. Yeah, oh, okay. Oh book. my mm. god. Okay, I thought I was losing my freaking mind for years. I'm like, <laughs> and I have the book. I could just go look. But at the same time, I'm like, ugh. Ah, that's a lot of reading. Uh, <laughs> 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 but you know, I I love that. And then like you know when you know Carlos gives her like the the vaccine, she's not like instantly healed and everything like that. So he ends up resting, she wakes up to go find yeah. them a way out of the city, and she leaves him with a note and everything. And I'm like, this is great. This is how I feel Resident Evil should be done in, like, an anime form. And to, and to get that, because I'm all, I, when I was younger playing the game, I thought to myself, what are these characters doing through all this stuff? I mean, we're playing as them. We're seeing it, but there's a lot of things that are, that are going on between these characters and stuff that we don't get to see. So I really feel that... When she did things like that, it was truly a, a, a wonderful way to really flesh out these characters that we really came to love. Because I, I think it was really during the, um, not just like the games of 2 and 3, but the novelizations of 2 and 3, where people got to really get a better clue of who these characters are. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, st storytelling in games from, you know, the original PS1 era to like, you know, Resident Evil 5 and 6 and 7 and, you know, the remakes... Very different, you know, different budgets, different time periods, you know, you, you worked with what you had back in the day. So I think I really I really like the fact that they gave these characters more than something to do in these stories. And they really kind of explored their their friendships, their mental states. I think that was just one of the best aspects of, of the book that I think they did here. Because, I mean, they do kind of do that in past ones. And I think like one of the best examples to backtrack a little bit to Caliban Cove is when the stars members are all like at Barry's house trying to figure out their next plan of attack, and then the attack on the, the the Barry's house happens there. It's things like that that just really bring you a little bit closer to these characters because you have context of what they've been doing. Because like every Resident Evil game, you know, these characters go off and fight Umbrella in some way, shape, or form, or something's happening to them that we don't actually know. And then you know, Resident Evil Four happens, and it's like, yep, box folded, Umbrella's gone. New story. So like, you know, I I just really. <laughs> appreciate the love that was put into these books to give characterization and time for these characters to grow in ways that the games couldn't do back in the day. And I think I think that this uh, story, despite uh, its its flaws in a lot of areas, doesn't prove... Like, like you said, I, I also thought like the part with Brad, like when he wasn't there, I'm just like, when I first read that back in the day, and I'm like, oh, I know where he is. So, <laughs> you know, like that, that was really something back in the day. Yeah. That's great. Like, we will talk about characters next, but like the bit that you've just touched on there, you're so right, like, sort of adding some more to that relationship with Jill and Carlos. Like, she leaves him behind, and then you kind of get his internal monologue of figuring out why exactly, why exactly that is, and being like, well, she basically wants to save me from being around her if Nemesis is still out there and stuff like that. And he's like, well, that's nice of her. But I don't care. I'm going to chase after her anyway. <laughs> that was great. It's like just gives you a better understanding of who those characters were. Mm. That whole sequence of Jill being infected and knocked out, I never considered it until the book. But she's out for like two days. Or yeah. even so, isn't it like, longer? She just sitting there like or whatever. Like she's out for at least a day. I think it's a couple of nights. Maybe. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's a way, couple of days that passes. It's two like, days. The game begins like what? Yeah, it's mm. two days. September 28th and then first, October 1st. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so she's sitting there, like, <laughs> at the end of this, like, church, whatever, chapel bit in the clock tower. It's like, 
I don't know. Is what's going on in the toilet department there? That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's no delicate way to put that. I mean, he's lying there for two days. It's like that's, that's not great. Car- Car- Carlos in the book does say that he tended to that's, her. That's why I started thinking about it. He's like, oh, he was changing her blankets and stuff like that. But he, you know, I was like, oh, yes, yeah, that's- blankets, <laughs> blankets. That's what he meant. And nothing else, uh, dude. <laughs> like, you, yeah. I installed you, a catheter while I was there. <laughs> you have put a lot of. Oh my! You have put so much like thought into that right there. It just reminds me of like how JJ put so much thought into be like, dude. Why doesn't the RPD have a bathroom? <laughs> that's like, it. Maybe really... she can hold it in. Maybe yeah, she she's it. used to it. <laughs> yeah, she wakes up and she's like, "Why does it smell like?" <laughs> that's what I was kind of half expecting her to be like. And Jill woke up and she suddenly really needed to pee. <laughs> she hasn't gone for two days. You're feeling oh two God. tins of fruit, you. I need to go for a whiz. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) He'd taken a single step when a door crashed open behind him. And the thing was so fast that he was still turning, raising the assault rifle in reaction to the sound of the door when it reached him. A wave of malodorous darkness. An impression of shining black claws and hard, ribbed body like the exoskeleton of some giant insect. And something ripped the air inches from his face. Would have hit him if not for his stumbling step backwards. He tripped over his own feet and fell, watching in horrified amazement as something flew over his upturned face, leaping nimbly to the wall on his right, and continued to run, sideways, clinging to the brick in a skittering gallop. Awestruck, Carlos tracked it as far as he could turn his head, flat on his back, watching it as it agilely pivoted on at least three of his legs and dropped to the ground. He might have simply waited for it to come for him, unable to believe his eyes, even as it slashed one of its six long-bladed legs across his throat, except that it screamed, and the trumpeting, triumphant whine that erupted from its inhumanely curved and bloated face was enough to get him moving. In a flash, Carlos rolled into a crouch and opened fire on the screeching, running thing, unaware that he was screaming too, a low, raspy cry of terror and disbelief. The creature faltered as the rounds tore into its brittle flesh, its limbs flailing wildly, the quality of its shriek changing to a howl of furious pain. Carlos kept firing, spraying the creature with deadly hot metal, continuing even after it collapsed and was only moving because of him the rounds jerking at its limp form. He knew it was dead, but couldn't let himself stop. Couldn't until the M16 ran dry and the alley was silent except for the sound of his own tortured breathing. Um, Steve, standout parts of this book in terms of adaptation. Oh, in terms of adaptations, I, I like that the, the whole exchange between the the you know, the, the before you enter the dead factory sequence. It feels like I can almost hear that as she's yeah. trying to decide whether she's pushing him off or way up her options. I thought it was yeah, really well sure. done. Yeah. Uh, I think they do a, they, they kind of cheat and do a bit with that where it would be Jill, but it's Carlos with the flashlight as well. Um, you know, those mm. those brief little moments where they touch on the I can't know what they call it life selection. Uh, Life selection, yes, that's it. I thought were actually really cheekily well done. 
there was something very like, no, oh, she didn't have to, but she did. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I, I'm kind of most of my time with this novel is Nikolai is doing the creepiest reenact reenactment of uh, No Country for Old Men. Like being a stoic killer, but then you look inside his mind, and he's a complete basket case. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting for me on that on that front because I I, I now PS One Nikolai I can't not see I I used to see him as like a cold taciturn professional. Now he's more in line with his remake counterpart because of this book, and it comes across as a bit of an unhinged menace. Um, it's inter- it's interesting for me because that has really changed my view on it a bit. I mean, obviously this. There's, there's wiggle room as to how it's to be interpreted, yeah. But now he's a lot more manic, and the fact that he literally sits in a hospital for two days waiting for one guy, and he's been trying to hunt down another guy, he finally finds out where he is, and the first chance he gets, he bolts it over to the like the park just to get him out of his head because he hasn't had a chance to kill him. That is it. Is it Chan or Chen? Um, and literally, I don't think he gives him a chance to talk. He's like proof for his life, and then bang. And it's, mm. Yeah. Interesting. It's interesting to see that man go from the stoic Russian scary man who's all about the money is actually losing. Is losing his pickle. He's going a bit mad. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know if that's interesting for everybody else, but it certainly is for me. Um, maybe I, it's a Dexter Morgan thing. I don't know. Before we obviously we're getting into characters now, certainly. But one last note on adaptation that I could not let sit. It needs to be mentioned. Uh, Jill and Carlos, great moment, completing the clock and gemstone puzzle like we all oh, do yeah. when we play the video game, which is pure dumb luck. <laughs> <laughs> they just stand there, basically shuffling the stones around until the solution bears its head, and then they go, cool, that was it, I guess. <laughs> which I, I was like, yeah, no, me too, actually. <laughs> yeah, that, that really jumped out of the page. Uh, right so let's start with Nikolai then with characters because uh, yes I agree I at the beginning I was like okay cool she gets Nikolai as the sociopath he starts the book basically thinking is it weird that I don't feel anything about killing people no that just makes me better and I was like okay that's all right it's like he thinks he's Patrick Bateman and then he gets more and more and more insane (laughs) Mm. and it kind of I agree with you. It, it it intends to flesh him out, but it does, sort of takes away from the sort of impenetrable mystery that he was in Nemesis, where he's just mm. like scary because you don't really, other than I guess being greedy, we don't really know anything about him. So I actually wouldn't have had his point of view in this book at all, uh, because whilst it do, uh, it works because the story, which is a shame, but I really just by the end of it, I was like, just hurry up be over with because I'm uh, I'm bored of this Nikolai. I don't I don't like this feels, is the best night of my life Nikolai. It's just like mm. yeah, I feel like he dominates a lot of the novel as well though. Like he's he gets a lot of page time that I feel could have gone to Jill this time. I feel mm. like it's more Carlos and Nikolai's novel than it is Jill's a lot mm. of the time. Uh, it, he gets a lot of character development for his Operation Watchdog Manhunt. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And over time yeah, I mean, I can see what she's doing, him sort of twisting from this cold, calculated killer into this absolute lunatic. Jill is my destiny. She's the antagonist in my story kind of perspective. Uh, and then at the end, it got really grim. Let's put it that way. And I was mm. like, mm. I, it, it does work a little bit easier if you imagine Remake 3, uh, Nikolai saying some of the early on stuff. But even by that point, I was like, this is so far removed of what I think Nikolai is as a character. It's her interpretation. Fair enough. It didn't work for me. Uh, Tony, do you remember 
your feelings on Nikolai from the book? Yeah, I mean, Nikolai, I I sensed a lot of the stuff that we did see from the first game, but it is a it is very different. I feel uh, as much as they try to follow beats from the game itself, I feel that story Nikolai novel Nikolai is uh, is. Uh, I, I think maybe because the the best way that he worked in the first game, the reason why, was because he was so mysterious. We didn't know what was mm-hmm. going on inside of his head. His actions showed exactly who he was. Like, you didn't really... I mean, you probably knew that he was probably going to be a bad guy in the first game, but, you know, because of how he acted and how much of a d- he was. But, you know, when you play, like, Remake 3, like, you just know that this guy's a piece of crap, even if you've <laughs> never played Resident Evil before. That freaking smile and stuff. So, like, I think... They kind of did the same thing with Wesker in the first book. Like, Wesker didn't necessarily feel like the Wesker that we got from games in many ways. But then again, you know, RE1 Wesker back in the day uh, yeah, very different, <laughs> was, yeah. was pretty cartoony and stuff. So, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I think Nikolai, yeah, like, he's it's he's not terrible. Uh, I, I think they just spend a little bit too much time on him. Because some characters... You don't need to develop them through what they go through personally, only through their actions. As, as a writer myself, I feel that that's like, a, again, that's why Nikolai was always such a, a cool character was because you knew he was doing some bad shit and he just popped up here and there and you just kept getting a worse vibe from him. It's just presence alone. Yeah, and I, I feel that from the novel, I didn't do that that bad of a job, but also not that great. Like, it's passable. Like, it's nothing like, you know, to write home about type deal. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree. He's an actions man and not a words man. So when you put that point of view camera in his head for the sake of the book, I don't know. Yeah, it, it definitely loses a lot of the mystery for me. James, how do you feel about Nikolai in the book? Right. I feel like every time I talk, about, I come on a Resident Evil podcast, I talk about Alien. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> Nikolai, <Okay>. Nikolai remi- <laughs> in this book, Nikolai reminds me of a crap uh, Car J. Burke. He Okay, so for the audience at home, definitely not me. Who is that? <laughs> Kurt J. Burke is the guy in Aliens who's, who lies to Ellen Ripley about her daughter being dead and mm-hmm. um, that they're going to the planet to save the family, LV-46, from uh, the the families from the Xenomorph nest that is there, or potentially there, etc., um, etc. Et He's just a piece of crap. He basically is all about the money and very much like Nikolai from the Resident Evil 3, the most recent one, um, where he's all about money. He's all about kind of trying to go to people and say, this is worth something and I'm going to yeah. take it. You know, and if you're not with it me, then the you're against me. has a significant dollar value. Exactly. <laughs> right. But in the book, um, I, I want to explain something actually quickly first before I talk about the book. Carl J. Burke's backstory, um, he has a backstory where basically he was brought up in a very, very crappy, um, very, very crappy family uh, uh, kind of upbringing. Um, I'm not going to go deep into it, but he was like, it was a really crap like history. That's the kind of stuff we should have heard from Nikolai. Why, you know, if he, we should have heard, we should have heard some origin stuff. So it connected us to why he was so wild. Like, why he had all these very strange and, like, completely insane um, uh, ideals and morals, right? Because Mm. if you don't connect it to something that we can relate to, like, in terms of him, like, suffering any kind of pain, right, then we cannot connect to the character. And that was, like, a big kind of problem. Or you just don't do that at all. (laughs) Like, you just don't, you do what Resident Evil 3 did, 
uh, the most recent one and not explain anything. Like, you just keep it surface level. He was all about the money. Like, you don't go deep into his psyche and you don't start talking about, like, how he was, you know, he, he wanted to t- sexually assault Jill. Like, which yeah. was out so out of the blue. Oh, I like, forgot I, about that. Yeah, yeah. like oh, it was. Oh, I remember reading that back in the day. Now, <laughs> oh, that that yeah, I oh god, it was, <laughs> it was so out of the blue. Like because we hadn't heard anything like that from him. Well, yeah, he actually kind of almost makes a similar comment about someone earlier in the book, and then decides, you know, what, I'll just kill him because I don't have time to fight right. with it. But it goes. Okay. It, you're right. Like this is steps above. Like it comes out of nowhere when it doesn't yeah. actually happen. And like he, 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 he just. It a bit. He, it, it, it does. does. Yeah. And it's like, you could have kept it at surface level. He was just cartoony bad guy, you know, after money. And yeah, you've already laid the plan you know, in the foundation of him being like a watchdog, part of the watchdog initiative or whatever it's called. Right. So you could have just kept it there. Right. You didn't need to go any further than that. Like we didn't, we already hated the guy. <laughs> yeah. Know? He was already settling out and killing everyone. And now he has aspirations of being a rapist as well. Oh, exactly. It was, yeah. yeah. It really, it really didn't need to be said. And the reason why I'm making the, the comparison is because, like, Carter J. Burke does have a backstory, and I do understand why he did what he did, right? I mean, I, you have to go into further extent, like, expanded universe stuff, right? But we don't have that with Nikolai. Like, yeah. we don't have that at all, right? So you you can't really understand why they did it. But even then, Carter J. Burke in the movie, um, you, like, he's, yeah, he's a capitalist pig. Like, that's who he is. Like, it would have been fine to just make it so Nikolai was a capitalist pig, like, and was just after him for himself and was just wanted more money. We got that. You didn't need to make it any bigger than it was. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. I think they kind of nailed that perfectly, like, in the remake, where he's like, oh, no, 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 no. You print money. I like money. Yeah. And, like, yeah. That was, like, exactly perfect. Exactly the line like, I thought of. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> like, he, he sees Jill being affected by Nemesis, and obviously something bad is happening to her. But he's just thinking, I wonder how much money I can get out of this. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> As opposed to the late game book, what late late book Nikolai, where it's a little bit seedier, it's a little bit tasteless. It's like you know that could have been uh, more of a Brian Irons thing. Yeah, exactly that. Mm. Yeah, it's. I know you know S. C. Perry has said in an interview before that she likes her villains to be really evil, but it's like at a certain point. They all kind of just become the same evil when you do that. When they're all lunatics that suddenly get, uh, you know, sexually disgusting as well. It, they're all kind of become the same character. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, Wesker kind of got like that in the Code the Veronica one, I remember. Right, I mean, we'll, we won't spoil that because that, that'll be a topic for you guys in the future. But yeah, there's, absolutely. there's some yeah. moments where they, they all the villains kind of start ending up being the same in many ways, I feel. <laughs> yeah, God bless Ray Renton and his inability to be a competent director of the planet. <laughs> uh, not, not to go back a novel, but he, he's just like a guy who aspira- has aspirations of being like Trent as this aloof, mysterious badass and just completely flustered. Get drunk. I want to just get wasted now. That's a really good idea while I'm being trespassed on. Mm. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the other characters then before we uh, move on. Steve, since you started us off on characters, anything else stand out? I guess, you know, Jill and Carlos being the other major ones in this book I actually they both are very good like the, the, yeah. the, it is unfortunately there is there is a weird blurring of lines now where I'm seeing between Catherine Dishes and Nicole Tompkins performances at the same adventure <laughs> uh, and uh, this is like an amalgam of all of them and I really like it like Jill is 100% on point for me she's stressed 
She's tired. She's got PTSD. There is actually a funny bit at the start where she says how she hasn't slept in three days, having just woken up from a nightmare. But we'll ignore that bit. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) actually. I especially love the, the, the bit where Nikolai is currently thinking, I'm going to sneak up on Jill, I want to get in, and then like, she immediately appears behind him with a revolver to the back of him, like, yes, please. Like, uh, it's just a <laughs> fantastic way that she she, she knew he was there the entire time and gets a drop on him. It, it's great. She's not intimidated by Nemesis in the slightest, I feel, which is actually probably on par for the way she's portrayed in the games as well. Like, she just knows mm. that he's a threat, he is dangerous. Mm. She doesn't, like, you know, fear him. I don't think, you know, she, which is funny, really, when you think about it, because she's like at the start of the novel, she's terrified of the thought of seeing another tyrant, and then she sees arguably a bigger, badder, scarier, studlier tyrant, you know, the leather daddy, and uh, he's not really doing much for her, is he? Um, Carlos, love him. Uh, again, it's a weird, a weird amalgamation of three and three R, but it, it's yeah. it's just something so charming about him in this, like it's just. He's just a good soldier dude trying to do right by people, and then he gets betrayed, and you go, oh, well, I guess I'll just have to side with Jill, darling. Like, at no point laying her down. Goes literally into an exploding, like, hospital to, to get a vaccine. And he has the dumbest look imaginable, actually, now I think about it, because the vaccine just stumbles into his pocket, pretty much, doesn't it? Because Nikolai drops yes. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, plucky dumb luck as well. I can accept that. It, although he's, he just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to distract Nemesis now. Is the ray gun ready? <laughs> yeah. Bless Cheers, you. Mom. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, absolutely agree all round. I've got very little to say on Jill. You said it all already. I think she was great. I've got no complaints. She's a very strong protagonist. S.T. Perry writes her well yeah absolutely nothing more to say than that she's really really good uh, remake 3 Carlos is so good that for a while I was reading all of Carlos's dialogue in this book as him yeah and not OG Carlos Oliveira I had to forcibly switch you know grab that was and it, turn it back in my brain was it about when the, the trolley broke and then he got into the clock tower bits and like this is only in OG3 so he is now he has to be classic Carlos <laughs> I was really trying before then, but certainly at that point, yeah, it's like, oh yeah, Jill suddenly goes, hang on, your hair's got a lot floppier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. From somewhere. <laughs> yeah, Carlos was great. Carlos was great. He was just a wonderful uh, sort of hero of the story. I really like the fact that S.D. Perry played out Carlos's end of the communication scene from early in the game where Jill hears him in the RPD and in the book. We get him sort of sending that communication out from the sales office or the, the press office, I think. Um, and he's so far the only character clever enough to immediately assume that Trent is working for Umbrella. Every other character, some some of them have got there eventually, but it's not their first thought. Uh, he pretty much gets it by the time he's put the phone down in Grill 13. He goes, well, he knows all this information for a reason, which I thought was fun. James, you've already mentioned the sort of flirting and stuff like that. I thought that was great. I think Carlos thinking of Jill as exhaustingly mood swinging, which was really, really good because there's nothing wrong with that. Like considering what Jill's going through, she is going to be an emotional wreck and he doesn't judge her for that, which I thought was really nice. And that mistrust that you mentioned that they start out with. I can't believe Essie Perry sold me on a romance between the two of them, but she did. So nice. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Yeah, it it was was actually, I was was just thinking like, (laughs) everything else in this book was very fast. And it was very well, I say well paced. Some of it was very well paced. Some of it was really fast. And it was all like, just, you know, but that was slow. That part of the, mm. the book, like their kind of romance quotes, 
like was was a slow burn and it was nice you know because yeah, sure. it was it like and it and they respected each other's boundaries as well like mm-hmm. it was it was it was really nice they were like and they were both saying no snap out of it we've got we're in a zombie apocalypse let's deal with this first um you know it's like which is not typical in kind of hollywood stuff because it's normally you know let's have a you know a steamy kiss underneath this toppling train station you know it's like <laughs> I, I never understand that but yeah, that's that's probably one of my favorite parts of of it is their kindling relationship as friends or something more. It was right, really nice. Yeah. I mean, they, they, she does kind of solidify at the end where Jill says she does monologue to herself, um, saying that she, basically she'd want to be with with Carlos or wants to explore that side mm-hmm. um, of their relationship. Yeah, and 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 she just leaves it there. Like there isn't, yeah. it doesn't go any further, and that's really nice, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't have anything else to say about that in particular. I, um, yeah, it, it, I would have liked to, I would have liked to have seen more of the UBCS folks, because um, we were told several times that there were. I know I'm going to go on about it again, but there are 120 <laughs> of them, right? And we yep. met like five. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. James, the rest James. Of them dead. On your first watch of Aliens, how many of those like colonial marines could you name? Oh, oh, are you asking me how many marines I can name? First watch of aliens, <laughs> are you asking no, me, James, how many? <laughs> right. right. I, 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 I mean, it. I can't tell I, you. I would like to learn and learn more about the UBCS as well, but they are there mostly as red shirts. Like, I mean, <laughs> they, they I, mean yeah, I, I mean, yeah, but you know, I know, I know she had a, you know, I know she had a, a story, but yeah, I, I, I mean, it's good you mentioned Aliens, Steve, because uh, once again. Like there oh, is a no. <laughs> there is a huge connection. I uh, wonder where they're getting these stories from. You know, sending a huge force or a well skilled force into a hostile environment to test how their soldiers do against are, are a you, bio are you weapon. Saying that SD Perry may or may not have lifted some of Resident Evil three story Perry? for no, our novels. Resident Evil did not SD Perry. There we go. Yeah, I mean, she, she wrote, she's written for both franchises, James. I'm just saying. Yeah. No. No. I know. I just you know. <laughs> You know, there's this, you know, respect to aliens. It, it, it's funny because <laughs> I see Carlos as more of a Kyle Reese star character than a, uh, a Hicks character, really. Mm. 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 Yep. Just, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. Just, just, just throwing out there, you know. Mm? Mm? Yeah, okay. No, definitely. Uh, definitely, yeah. Tony, uh, any standout moments for characterization? I know you talked a lot about like the Jill setup, but anything maybe Carlos that stood out to you from this book? I mean, Carl, I like I I know that a lot of people didn't really like the original Carlos because he just like kind of seemed like this ladies' man. He's like, you know, it's like it's like I know you want to ask me out. All oh, the ladies dig the accent; it drives them crazy. You know, like I I know that like that is like something that a lot of people like were just like, okay, so he's kind of like this macho guy and stuff but in the books like they novelized him like as being kind of a hero because like wasn't he didn't he save like some diplomat's son or, or or like a child like before joining umbrella or whatever that's like why he got the job because he was very qualified to do what he does uh, uh, in I, the novel in the novel it's more he's just a merc who's been like shady stuff but not not negatively shady if you know what I mean. he's, he's killed bad people but he's also on the wrong side of people yeah in the exactly. main ca- in the main game can i think it is more He's been like, yeah, a bit more of a guerrilla fighter. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I thought I thought there was something like where he did something really good, but yeah, like, he, but in the book it shows that he really cares. Like, he's a very caring person, and I, I like that. Like, they he was able to. He just wasn't like this one trick or one you know one trick pony type deal. Like he was in the game kind of deal. Like, I mean, he he kind of stays the same character throughout the whole thing. 
in, in the game. There's not much real change in him. Where Jill is like at first like against trusting him, and then eventually she does, you know, kind of deal. But uh, I think they did a pretty good job at his novelization here. In uh, in many ways, like you know, like how like Trent found him and all that jazz, and I I think it was. Uh, you know, I think that was pretty good. The the, the how they did that. I, I like I like Mikhail in this for like the little bit. Like you did get to uh, speak with him yeah. and stuff. Um, there was a little bit there too because you know, like Nikolai does find him after shooting him. You know, being the <laughs> that he is. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I honestly I feel that a lot of uh, characters did get just proper ways to to grow. I, I don't really feel that there's like I mean we we all named our gripes with characters, but overall I don't think it's like disappointing. I don't think any of us were really extremely disappointed, other than like you know with like Nemesis getting nerfed and stuff. But um, I think I think I just think that the characters were very enjoyable to read because it was a good way to expand upon characters who, let's face it, some of them did kind of need it. Nikolai didn't need it as much, but I think that you know Jill and Carlos did uh, need it, and they got it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so before we close this thing up with our final verdicts, obviously just want to talk a bit about uh, writing style and quality and stuff like that. I think fairly light on this one really we've already read several of st perry's books so you kind of know what you're getting into you know before you even get there and get the obvious one out of the way the gore and the action always on point my favorite line early on in this book was the blood and bone confusion that had been her face which is disgusting and i love it Um, james any thoughts on the writing style the writing quality of this book i mean yeah we've read what is it four books now before this one yeah this is the fifth yeah yeah, uh, <laughs> I think I I think I named the last book. Like there were some things that were like wild about it that I didn't like. But the thing is, I've done that with every single one of the books. Like I've really liked the bulk of the book. I've enjoyed reading mm-hmm. it. It's been a good horror, like gory kind of uh, adventure. Um, she knows just knows how to write like these kind of stories so well. Um, I do. <laughs> I did make a note. There was one line in it that just made me laugh because it was very um, not like S.D. Perry. Um, there was uh, <laughs> there's a bit after she uh, Jill wakes up in the hospital, you know, after she smelled the, the place of <laughs> and she gets up <laughs> and she talks to Carlos and we're at, we're at Carlos's monologue and S.D. Perry says her voice was flat, infectionless. And I just, I didn't understand. Yeah, she says infectionless. And I was like, I don't understand what that means. Like, <laughs> what does that mean? Like, I, infectionless? I do, do I have an infected voice when I'm ill? I don't know. Um, I but that was the only feeling so well. Of a oh, hello. <laughs> yes. oh, I can't come to work today. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was, it, yeah. It just made me giggle. But otherwise, like it's it's well written. I love I love how she does the like. I tell you, my favorite bit was um was right at the end. I mean, we hated him anyway. But uh, when Nikolai, <laughs> without any you know pomp or ceremony, was just ripped apart. You know, it was <laughs> to be fair. He went an interesting route with the canon choices, and I'm okay with that. The, the Nikolai yeah. ripped apart ending is a nice surprise. Yeah, and I guess if people consider the ga- the, the books as canon, I mean Nikolai is not alive, you know. Yeah. So, um, yes, and yeah, I just love that bit where he was just ripped apart. I was like, yeah, that's a perfect ending for this absolute <laughs> wumble, you know. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I can't really add anything more. I did. I, I loved it. I, I really did love reading this book. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. For those screaming along at home, uh, I believe she probably missed a letter out of that word. Inflectionless is probably what she was getting at. But oh. Inflectionless seems oddly <laughs> relevant, really, doesn't it? Really? It's Resident Evil. <laughs> uh, Steve, any thoughts on the writing quality of Nemesis? I mean, you've already touched on the gore and the violence, and I think that you know that no, that novelization from the reporter early on is like pretty grotesquely beautiful for what it is, and like you get a full mm. picture of that whole thing playing out. And again, the scene right after where Carlos has to shoot his colleague is pretty good. Uh, my only gripe, and it's a small one, is that it, maybe it's because I've played the games, but I feel like environmental detail gets lost, and I know where we are because I played the games. Uh-huh, but I don't yeah. know if a I don't know if a reader who hasn't played the games, which you know, I mean, th- there is not a zero percent chance someone will read the book who hasn't played the games. So it, I do feel like some areas get a bit lost in translation there. Um, but there are some like truly fun bits of dialogue. Like uh, I've got a little piece to a photo of here. Um, basically, Carlos has just been talking to Jill about why the hell are you dealing with a crazy puzzle in the clock tower, and she's like, after giving a lot of thought. Jill had finally come, come to the conclusion that Umbrella's real board of directors, the ones that were really that she was worried about, were paranoid fanatics. They were over-involved children playing secret agent games, playing with other people's lives because they could, because no one ever explained to them that hiding things and making treasure maps was something people didn't do, because no one had stopped them yet. Suddenly, eager to wrap it all up, to place the gear and ring the bell and leave, Jill. Fl- Jill phrased it as much as simply as she could to Carlos. They're wacko. They're wacko, that's why. They're 100% grade A, jacked up bull****. You ready to get out of here or what? Like, there, there is a good, like, paragraph of Jill basically going, oh, God, they're so bloody stupid, these these children. That's why they're just, yeah, they're nuts as Carlos. They're just nuts. Yeah. Uh, there's something so charming about the whole bit. Uh, yeah, I love that bit. That is definitely a moment that uh, put a smile on my face. And there's a bunch of little touches like that. And these kind of like build back into what we were saying about adaptations a little bit. But they're nice little references. You know, Jill remarking that Marvin is one of the finest cops on the RPD is a nice little world building link. Uh, There's a reference to Ada Wong in there as well. And the novel even muses that she might be still alive at the end, uh, which I thought was kind of fun. Uh, you know, she's good at those little moment-for-moment references. My only real issue, I've already said, is the pacing towards the end, but otherwise, yeah, fine with it. Uh, Tony, any thoughts on S.C. Perry's writing style and quality? I feel she does a good job at uh, delivering on action, like when she's talking about like what's happening in the actual scene, like when it's it's generally only something you really see like during like a, like a B.O.W. encounter or something like that. But I remember like yeah. when she was... Like in the book, she's like firing uh, the magnum and it's hitting the nemesis in the face. Even like the magnum's like not doing anything. And then she's describing like the bloody holes in his face and stuff. And I'm like, I was like, man, that's pretty cool because in the game, like you pretty much just shoot him straight in the the chest or, you know, sometimes in the depending how far down you, you know, lower the gun and like that. But (laughs) um, I, I think she does the action parts when things go off like that very well. Other parts, obviously. Not as well, like 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 Steve was saying earlier. Like they, she doesn't really pay that much attention to detail at times. I, sometimes she does, and other times like she doesn't. It's not like a consistent thing. But uh, overall, yeah, I think like the action part of uh, part of it is good, and the writing is good for what we get. You know, uh, again, it, it's not groundbreaking, but she does she does what she does, and. To be honest, I don't really feel there's a lot of people who've ever like given her like a hard criticism about her stuff. I think people were kind of just happy that 
she was able to kind of write her own thing, but also staying true to the games in a lot of aspects. So I think that's something that I also give her credit for, too, in the writing, mm-hmm. is that she doesn't try to make her own fan fiction. She doesn't try to make her yeah. own thing using characters so that she's allowed to. You know? So I think uh, I think that's pretty cool, and I think that the writing and the action parts for a lot of the games, because like I said, like that whole point in uh, Calabine Cove, when Barry's house gets attacked and stuff, and they're like running throughout the house, and then they're going out the back door, and like running through a park, firing shot, like all that stuff was like really well done. I just love that kind of stuff. Mm. Okay, let's uh, let's conclude with our sort of final verdict on it, which is interesting that you mentioned that. I don't think many people um, have an issue with S.T. Perry's writing, at least from a quality standpoint, I would agree with you. Yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting. I think the further that we go into this series, I find that people are way harsher about these books than necessary because some people really hate them. Um, and times, you know, a lot of people, you know, say they're a front to the canon and stuff like that. And obviously she's writing them as she goes along and the games are kind of coming out and we have these issues where, as Tony, you kind of alluded to earlier, where she'll go, like characters will go off somewhere and then they'll be suddenly back in Raccoon City and S.T. Perry will have to write a disclaimer at the beginning of the book being like, yeah, sorry, uh, my story isn't matching up with the games because they're both being written at the same time. Um, you know, most of this, most of these, other than, you know, moments like that, most of these books are just, as self-contained stories, they're entertaining. Yeah. If you can get past the stars as a countrywide organization and the Trent stuff, which unfortunately doesn't actually come to a full conclusion, as we all know. But in terms of adaptations, they're just, you know, they're fun to read. It's as simple as that. I, it's, it's weird that a lot of people just seem to be like, ah, psh, and blow them off. And I feel like enough time has passed now where people really should take another look at them. Um, and take a look at what Perry did in terms of... And we've obviously really complimented how she's uh, grown a lot of these characters out. Not all of them, but the characters that she grew out in the right way are really, really well done. And mm. more than that, you get to see, oh, it's a cool way to do that bit from the game, slightly different or whatever, in some of these novels. Um, so at this point in our sort of like book club journey, that becomes clearer and clearer to me. Um this one isn't my favourite in the series, certainly. It's got pacing issues. I think Nikolai was a pretty terrible bad guy with how over the top he was. And I agree, Nemesis probably needed a bigger presence, but it's still a comfortable and easy reading sort of thing. You know, if you like your, your action and your gore, it's a decent book. It's not my favourite, but I absolutely don't really have that many. Despite the fact that I feel like we have nitpicked it in places, I really wouldn't not recommend it. It's certainly a fun read. Mm. Uh, Tony, as the guest, what's your final thoughts on the Nemesis adaptation as a whole? Uh, I really enjoyed it a lot. It, it I mean, it, it might not be as as high up as people think because everybody knows RE3 is my favorite Resident Evil game. But I think for, yeah. like I stated in, the, in this podcast today, you know, the characterization of a lot of characters getting time to grow and be something different is, uh, you know, is, is a lot better. And I feel that you know, at the end of the day, it's a pretty solid adaptation. Like, obviously, there's there's ups and downs, but it never it never trashes its source material. It never really is a slap in the face. So I feel what most fans will probably agree with me for that. And as far as it goes, yeah, it's it's not my favorite of the novels. Like, I think my favorite favorite still to this day is umbrella. It goes umbrella conspiracy, city of the dead, Calabine Cove, uh, Nemesis. Then it goes Code Veronica, and then Zero Hour. Uh, I think I think that this is a very just good, like you said, it's a it's a very good read. It's very easy, and it doesn't hurt your soul when you read it. So that's always kind of a plus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Not uh, that Steve I have much of a verdict. soul left, but you know. <laughs> Steve, final verdict on Nemesis? Honestly, I had a good time, and this is coming from the guy who I feel like I've been uh, criticizing it nonstop, and that's only because I, I you know, I criticize things I love. It's just the way I, I, I roll. Everybody, Steve's a grumpy <laughs> old man and gets to do that. It's also his birthday tomorrow at time recording, so he's even grumpier, even older. Ah. Um, <laughs> well, no, I, it's strange. I feel like if you're a fan of Jill in any particular capacity, this is probably a book you should seek out. If, if RE3, specifically classic RE3. It's a game of big nostalgia for you. I think you should seek it out. If you are, like us, just a big fan of the written word and also some Resident Evil-style stuff, it's also a fun time. Like, it's not the best novel, but I will also say it's not the weakest, if you know what I mean. Like, you just, just yeah. go through it, nom, 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 like popcorn. Um, my only gripes with it are, in the greater context of things, small ones, which is... Strange, really, because I've literally complained for about an hour and a half about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we've yeah, all done I, it. Yeah, I, it's a fun time. I, I would argue that the, the only thing the book really does a disservice to is the latter stages of Nikolai's character and Nemesis, which, yeah, you probably shouldn't look up Nemesis in a book about him, but it's more about Jill escaping the city than anything else. So he gets a pass. Plus, Carlos is like a, a sweet young boy trying to save the day. It's nice. James, any final thoughts on the fifth S.D. Perry book? Um, like Tony said, like I, I really enjoy. Like I'm, we're getting it more with the more recent Resident Evils, but the like more characterization, better, like more fleshed out characters rather than just being like these one dimensional one liner characters that we see on screen. Um, and the books give us that. Uh, each each one has given us that. And this one, I think, has probably given us... I, I feel like because we haven't seen Jill any, in any new stuff like for a very long time, I feel like this book like gives us what we need of Jill. as yeah, well as giving, Jill fix. Yeah, as well as giving us like quite a lot on Carlos too. Especially, I feel like people... If you have played Resident Evil 3 and you want more stuff like Resident Evil 3 in terms of characterization, you should read this book. Mm. Um... You know, and and like you did, because I did the exact same thing, Sai, where I I replaced, I I kind of replaced um, the old Carlos with the new Carlos, and it kind of made it a cooler experience as well. Like mm-hmm. for me, while I was reading it, that kind of happened about halfway through, as well as kind of the Jill uh, personification as well. Um, yeah, I, I I feel like this <laughs> this book is is it's like the games. This book is not the favorite but it's still something that a lot of people are going to like um yeah i can't really say much more than that it's it's an sd perry book it does well um it does have like some problems with its pacing um and yeah it has it has you know i mean you know nikolai is kind of trash um towards the (laughs) end but it's also really nice to get a it's all it like there were really cool bits with Nikolai as well, where he was like running around, like employing his master plan, you know, Dick Dastardly yeah. style. Like that was <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool until until we got nearer to the end. But yeah, overall, um, it it won't be liked by every. Well, it isn't the best, but I think everybody who was a Resident Evil fan will like it. Yes, I agree. I think. There's something to get out of this as a Resident Evil fan. And I think it's interesting because I feel like we've all felt like we've maybe picked a few holes in this more than uh, usual. 
to balance it out for all the issues with the Nikolai and Nemesis story bits. Of course, we've all said great things about Jill and Carlos, and I do maintain that I think this is the best story of like two survivors coming together, whether that's as, as a friendship or a potential relationship thing. Um, in the Perry books, at the very least, if not more, because of the amount of time they get to spend together. So, you know, focusing on that part of the book, that's really, really well told. So, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors, our patrons, and our listeners. Join the First Aid Spray Discord server to become part of our community and hear the show early and unedited. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. All of these links and all of our content can be found at fasprayPod.com. You can listen to the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and all good podcasting apps. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review where you can and spread the good word. Don't forget you can support the show by picking up some merch or at Patreon.com forward slash fa spray pod for as little as one dollar a month on our next episode we take a look at the history and missions of resident evil's most accomplished soldier in our penultimate episode in the series that's right it's profile chris redfield thank you to the panel you can follow all of the pueblo people individually i'm at signiac underscore one two three steve is at fb steve was taken james is at moist outlet off and tony is at one underscore big underscore boss and finally thank you for listening and have a good week I, I kind of feel uh, that uh, his aliens is like my diehard. You start talking diehard stuff, and I go off. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, you, you need to you need to listen to our Alien Isolation episode. I, de- I yeah, do. I've got, got, I've got so much to got catch up on. I, d- I just start <laughs> crying at the end. It was- <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, it, Aliens is his diehard. I I completely understand this one hundred percent. Uh, and we already know John McClane versus a tyrant. That tyrant's done. Like, you know, it's just a Verretta <laughs> and a bit of grit, and that man has wrecked it. It's oh, easy. F- yeah. <laughs> <laughs>